This is the To The Point Podcast. Together with our ERISA attorney, we'll explore key Affordable Care Act and trending compliance topics, all in 15 minutes or less. Now here's our host, Sarah Gillespie. Hello, and welcome to our To The Point Podcast. This is Sarah Gillespie. I'm the Compliance Director at Lipscomb Pitts Insurance in Memphis, Tennessee. And I have with us our ERISA attorney, Stacy Barrow of Marathas Barrow Weatherhead and Lent. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Sarah. It's good to be here. Thanks for joining us. So, okay, Stacy, we have had a lot of questions recently about qualified medical child support orders. And so I thought we would kind of unpack a lot of questions related to what do you do? What is it? How do you handle it? And so um, just to kind of start from the beginning and explain what they are. So often in the case of a divorce or custody decision, the court is going to determine who should be responsible for providing health insurance for children. Employers with group health plans must generally extend coverage to the children of an employee when a state court or an agency issues them a medical, a qualified medical child support order. So the group health plan, meaning whoever is the HR person who's handling this, it has to determine whether the medical child support order is considered, quote unquote, qualified. This type of order is referred to as a Qualified Medical Child Support Order, or the acronym is QMCSO. In addition, there's a state child support enforcement agency. And if you receive a national medical support notice, that is known as an NMSN, another acronym, um, that the group health plan also has to determine if it's qualified. So, um, Stacy, what employers are required to comply with receipt of a child support order? Are there any that are exempt? Um, you know, basically all of them are required to comply with a Quimsco or National Medical Support Notice. Um, ERISA requires all uh, ERISA-covered plans to comply with Quimscos, and the plans that are not subject to ERISA will still be required to comply with these notices, the National Medical Support Notices, um, under state law. And, you know, one of the uh, kind of distinctions to make or used on the outset with a, a Quimsco, uh, way to think of a Quimsco is a Quimsco is an order requiring the plan to provide coverage. It's kind of between the state agency now and the employer and its plan. It's out of the employee's hands to a certain degree. There are plenty of times where employees will divorce and they'll have an agreement, you know, for custody and this parent's going to provide the health insurance coverage. Everything goes fine. The employee brings the order in and says, hey, I'm I'm requiring, I'm going to cover my kid pursuant to this order now. Can I enroll in the year? Great. Um, everything goes smoothly. When that doesn't go smoothly, the it, some or you know other, other factors take place, the court will instead issue a quimsco uh, and you know direct the plan, take it out of the employee's hands, and direct the plan to provide the coverage. And so that's why, as we talk this through. It'll, I think, make sense, you know, why the employer is taking the actions that it's taking, because it is now, the employer is now responsible for dealing with the Quimsco or the National Medical Support Order. So I made references to a qualified support order. So what what must be within the um, the order to make it considered qualified and who makes this determination? 
the HR person, I would guess. Yeah, basically, um, the you know any group health plan subject to ERISA should actually have Quimsco procedures, um, and so you would evaluate the notice based on your Quimsco procedures. You know, does it specify the alternative beneficiary? Um, you know, is it? filled out properly? Does it have all the relevant information? And you would kind of line it up, you know, your Crimsco procedures may come with a checklist that you would check off some boxes, make sure it's qualified, um, and then follow the instructions on the Crimsco to, you know, enroll the, the child and, you know, send the SPD to the alternative recipient and respond to the issuing agency, whatever they they want you to be. So, I read this recently, and I feel like I read this on the DOL website when I was looking at some Q&A about this topic, that if you could infer any of the missing information that would otherwise make the order qualified, that the HR person should go ahead and consider it qualified. Is that accurate? Did I read that right? Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of goes to what I was talking about before is this is, you know, the employer's obligation, right? So if the employee is dragging his feet or being a little combative, um, the employer can always, you know, supplement with its own information and effectuate the enrollment um, because, again, the employer has their own responsibilities here. Okay, so I want to transition to some real life questions that I have been asked or that our account managers have received in regards to these. So the first one is when the support order names an employee who is not currently enrolled, but is eligible for the plan, what is the plan's obligation? Um, in that case, they would enroll the employee along with the child, assuming that you know you, you have to be enrolled as an employee to enroll a child. There's only one instance where I have ever heard that a plan allowed the child only to be enrolled without the employee. And I think it was a self-funded TPA situation. And almost every situation that I'm aware of, the employee must enroll in order to enroll the dependent child. Is that what you are aware of, too, or you mostly? <laughs> yeah, 99.99% of the time, that's the way it works. But as you said, you know, there, there could be a plan, probably self-insured, that is designed to say, no, you want to enroll the child only, then uh, go ahead. Okay. And that's, that's what would happen in that case. Okay. So next question, what if the support order names an employee who has not yet satisfied the applicable waiting period? Then what's the plan's obligation? Um, as part of the response, you would note that the employee hasn't satisfied the waiting period. Um, and usually if it's a relatively short time frame, um, you know, you would, you'll indicate that, you know, this will be the date of enrollment and so on. Um, so there, there, the, the form in the notice usually uh, contemplates that the employee might be in a waiting period um, and there'll be some instructions as to how to, how to complete the response. Okay, so what if the employer does not know what lines of coverage to provide to the child? I've seen a few orders where the box is checked and it just says all health plans. What does that mean? Does that mean dental and vision? Does that can can someone infer that just means medical? How does an HR person know what to do with that? Yeah, they they just have to consider the relevant facts and circumstances and how their plan is designed. Um, if they're 
you know, plan um, has a written default option, then they should be able to enroll the employee in the default option if the plan doesn't specify or if the order doesn't specify an option. Um, if it says all health benefits, then um, you know, maybe, then I, I probably would, as a you know, general matter, read it to include dental and vision. Um, you know, not to say maybe an employer couldn't have a Quimsco procedure that, you know, that, that says, that, you know, it has to, you know, has to state dental or vision, something like that. You know, when, when drafting your procedures, if you want to you know, bake something like that in because you intend to only, you know, put the alternative beneficiary into medical, then, you know, that's, that's a decision I think you'd make at the time that you are drafting your procedures. Is it okay for the HR person to write back or respond back to the issuing agency and ask for clarifying information? Yeah, absolutely. You can always call them. Uh, you can write them, but you can always pick up the phone. And usually, there's someone that you know will will, will be you know willing to help um, if you can get them on the phone. Um, but yeah, absolutely. If the order is unclear, you can ask them to clarify. Because that seems like the simplest path to me is just ask rather than assume. So if that's an easy thing to do, I, I think that would be a good first suggestion. So, okay, what if yep. the coverage options for an employee are between a major medical minimum value plan and a minimum essential coverage or a MEC plan that provides preventive care and limited benefits only? You and I talked about this one recently, I think. So you said you thought that the major medical plan was the one that should be offered because it's the one that satisfies most of the, um, or should satisfy most of the full requirements. Yeah, I would be, uh, yeah, I would want to take a very close look at the facts before I enrolled um, an employee and child in a plan that just provided preventive only coverage when there was a major medical plan available. Take a close look at the order um, you know, maybe the response would make some kind of disclosure that the plan was a neck plan. Uh, but I would, you know, it would probably not be my my first inclination to to put someone in the neck plan if there's a major medical one available. So what if you've got an employee in the class in which this employee falls is either only offered something like a MEC plan, or what if this class is only offered something like one of these new individual coverage HRAs? How does that work with the order? Does the, does the HR person just tell the issuing agency, like, look, this is all I have to offer, or how does that work? Um, no, I mean, the, the ICRA is still a group health plan. Um, so I, you know, I think they would still comply with the order. Um, and if they make a contribution for families or they make the, the employer makes a contribution based on the number of dependents, they would now have to treat that child as a covered dependent. Okay. So what if the plan's obligation in the Oh, what's the plan's obligation in the event that the employee's paycheck is not enough to cover him or herself as well as the dependent child? Yeah, the employer um, doesn't have to you know, take care or remit the, the shortfall. You know, if the, if the paycheck is insufficient to cover the premiums, then, you know, generally coverage would terminate. They would need to respond to the issuing agency. Um, you know, they'd want to, you know, pro probably, 
maybe at that point, either talk to counsel or take a close look at their ClinSCO procedures um, and see what they, you know, they, they say in those circumstances. Okay. And so then once an employer has done all of this, followed the procedures, enrolled the employee and the dependent child, how does the employer know how long that child should remain enrolled? Um, usually the order will specify, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say, you know, you need to review the facts in any, any particular situation. Um, you know, it may be, you know, something, you know, at the end of the plan year in which the child turns 18, um, you know, it, it really, I guess, depends on the order. Um, one thing to note is that even when a Quimsco lapses, say the it says you need to cover the child until the child turns 18 and the child um, reaches 18 in the middle of the plan year, the it is not a qualifying event to drop the child from coverage mid-year um, unless he's picking coverage up elsewhere or some other change in status applies. Um, so just something, something to note operationally. Definitely. A few different things to think about. Well, hopefully some of these questions were helpful and answer similar questions that you may have experienced or, you know, need answered. Um, If you have a situation that we didn't answer and you'd like for us to help with that, certainly email me, Sarah G, S-A-R-A-H-G at LPinsurance.com. We'd be happy to help. I can connect you with Stacy if that would be helpful to you. But this is a topic that I know comes up frequently for uh, employers. So definitely wanted to cover that. So thanks, Stacy, for walking us through all of this. I know that's a lot of different questions, a lot of what ifs with these, these orders. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Happy to help. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Please listen to another one of our podcasts. And we hope you have a great day. 